good day. Hello and good day. And welcome to our first two-part episode of I'm a Sophisticate and So Can You. Yeah, why is it two parts? Well, listen, life is challenging. We got COVID. Yes, life Um, is like a hurricane here in Duckburg, and that's the only amount of that song I'm allowed to quote. That's neither here nor there. So what happened was, we got COVID. We got COVID, and we watched a lot of Real Housewives, and then we were like fuck the envelope, we're just going to talk about Real Housewives. And then we had COVID, so we talked about Real Housewives for like a really long time. And then also we still had COVID, so it took Anthony a long time to edit it. Turns out when you have COVID, you don't want to edit podcasts. You just want to sit on the couch and watch more Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. So it's in two parts, and I don't remember what we fucking said honestly i was on a lot of painkillers but it's all housewives content it's in two parts and that's what we're telling you the way it breaks down is the first episode is roughly seasons one and two plus sydney describing what the housewives mean to her this is all beverly hills did we say that right this is all the real housewives of beverly hills (laughs) the way it breaks down is the first episode is seasons one and two of the real housewives of beverly hills and episode two is seasons three four and five of the real housewives of beverly hills and at some point, we're, we're already now in real time, almost done with season six. So we'll 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 get back to you mm-hmm. with more. We'll see how you guys but, like this one. Um, if you want more, we will give you more. Oh, yeah, yeah. Apparently, um, releasing consistently is like important. Listen, we've we've talked about many times on this podcast how we have ADHD and one of the ways that we deal with that while also having a podcast is creating a lot of artificial structure and deadlines for ourselves. Uh-huh. So the way to make sure that that continues to happen for my sanity as the editor of the podcast is that we need to put something out. And I do think we had a lot of really good conversations and a full episode's worth of content already in the can. So Yeah, so if you're looking forward to our housewives content, you got a lot to look forward to. Exactly. If you're not... You should check it out. Yeah. It's really good. The we're, reason we're dividing it into two parts is because there's a lot of really good stuff and I didn't want to cut it. I've been practicing my entire adult life for like winning people over to the Real Housewives as like meaningful, important culture. Mm-hmm. So with that being said, have fun and uh, <laughs> so hope you... please enjoy. Please enjoy. And you're welcome, I guess is what I'm saying. Yes, absolutely. You're welcome. <laughs> Welcome to I'm a Sophisticate and So Can You. The show that engages with the canon so that you don't have to. I'm one of your hosts, Anthony. And I'm another of your hosts, Sydney. And today we have an extra special episode ready for you. (laughs) Yeah, so what happened was... (laughs) We got COVID. We got COVID. Yeah, we were all ready to work on Arcade Fire and Moonstruck for y'all. Yeah. And then we got... like just anything legitimate. And then we got COVID. I don't want to say pretty bad. No, people died. I did go to the hospital. You did go to the hospital. Yes, you did have a brief stay in the ER. So you got, you didn't get it. Not in the hospital, hospital. Sure. Just the ER. Yes. You did have it not great. (laughs) I had, yes, I had COVID not great, which is not a surprise. I'm a delicate person. I was talking to a friend today and she was like, you're not a very strong, you're not very strong. And I was like, I'm not. And she was like, but you're strong willed. And I was like, it's a uniquely tragic combination to be strong 
of spirit and weak of constitution. That's true. But you do have a high tolerance for pain. I do, which I did not know about myself for years. Yeah. It's, I think because people just assume that if you're not strong, you also don't have a big pain tolerance. Yeah, that, but it's like kind of the opposite. It's like, well, no, like a lot of shitty stuff happens to me. <laughs> yeah. But it's also like, I don't know, whatever, misogyny and also like unhealthy dynamics in my relationship and my other relationships. Like, I don't know. I just feel like I had a lot of signal coming at me that because... My organism was weak. That that was like the same thing mm-hmm. as having a low pain tolerance. Right. And then one day someone pointed out to me the things that I have accomplished with a migraine, like between throwing up. Yes. So, and I was like, oh, you're right. Not everyone would do that. That's true. I, I mean, I think I think most people with chronic migraines, like at some point you, you toughen up a little bit. Anyone's first migraine, they would be like, what the fuck? Yes. So yeah, I don't know. I'm working on that. I'm working on that self-image of being someone that cannot avoid, but can endure. Yes. <laughs> so all of that is to say. Yeah, anyway, we, we got COVID. We got COVID and we spent the last week just posted up on our couch watching The Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. Yeah, Hens. doing my favorite thing. Yes, because if it was not abundantly clear from the first however many episodes of this podcast, Sydney is, I would say, a scholar of the form of the Real Housewives franchise. Yes, I think so. Not a scholar of note. There are famous Housewives historians and they do not know who I am, but I I believe that they should. I think you certainly rank in the, the top percentile of housewives knowledge of people who i know i mean not just people who i know but i would say people i would hope people people who i know you you are the most (laughs) there can't be anyone competing for people you know personally yeah no i think at this point the amount of like not just viewing but like the amount of thought that i've put into it and not just like the content of the shows here's where i think i really distinguish myself as i i've chosen to focus my thesis mm-hmm. <laughs> not just on the content of the shows but on the culture of the the fandom and the the personality that being a fan of these shows creates and like brings out within a, a viewer i don't know what to call that you're a jew like you know how there's like texts and then there's texts about the texts. yeah that's what I'm doing. <laughs> yeah, the commentary. Yeah, yeah. The Talmud of the Real Housewives. Yes, that's me. And so while we were holed up with COVID for the last week, we spent the whole time watching the first five seasons of the Real Housewives of Beverly yes, Hills. Yes, which I was very happy to share with you. So we're, we're breaking into the, the our normal, we're leaving the envelope mm-hmm. today, guys, to talk about gender neutral guys, to talk about our experience doing that so obviously this is material that i already knew but like any great work it's what you bring to it you know what i mean like it's mm-hmm. different every time because you have grown whatever you have experienced like the first time i watched these this is early the early seasons yeah. of beverly hills the first time i watched these i was like whatever 21 22 living in new york and like to watch it now as as i approach becoming their their they're still older than me there are housewives I, that are your age there are but they're they're not unusual. On beverly hills not, that's true but if we go now to the beginning of beverly hills i am closer to some of their ages 
that gap is smaller than the gap between my current age and when I watched the first time. That's true. And that's wild to think about. So here we go on this. So, okay. So full disclosure, what we did, I wanted to hook Anthony good. So we started at game night, a tiny bit into season two. And then we watched forward through five. And then I made him go back for some highlights of season one, which I think is not a particularly strong season of The Real Housewives overall, but it does set up a lot of really important stuff for season two, which I think is an extraordinary season. Yes. What was your experience like of watching the second season. So before I answer that question, just briefly, I do want to point out that you had already sold me on the Housewives franchise as a general principle. Yes. And already sold me on Beverly Hills as a show. Oh, yes. We should say we did watch the most recent season. In real time. In real. And we have been watching Potomac together. And Salt Lake City. Oh, and Salt Lake City. Oh, I forgot about Salt Lake City. What a treasure. I was just talking to my therapist about the Housewives and I completely <laughs> forgot about Salt Lake City. What an oversight. Salt Lake City is great. And it's the one franchise that I've been with since the beginning, which isn't saying much. There's only two seasons. Yeah. So before we get too in the weeds on like what we saw, what we experienced, I am curious, what does the Housewives mean to you? Like, why do you feel like it is so important to you? Oh, well, I used to peddle this like sassy line to people. There used to be a lot more open hostility for this franchise than there is now. I think it's it's coming to be a pretty respected hobby thanks to a lot of like great work that has been done by fans and the fan culture, primarily women and gay men across this country saying like if you care about men in different colored shirts running into each other to sell commercials. I can care about this. And there are there there are a few noted in the pantheon of hosts commentators who talk about housewives. There are a few straight men who watch sports and watch housewives and legitimize that comparison. We'll say that it is doing the same thing in their brain. Anyway, when I used to have to be snarkier about it, I would say things like, well, when network television wants to come at me with a scripted series about six complex, well-written, like fully thought out women, plots that involve their status battles and barely involve their husbands mm-hmm. <laughs> like that involve like their lives and what is important to them and the intricacies of the stakes that have been put upon them and the gilded cages they live in yeah that's then i'll watch that but that doesn't exist and the housewives does the kinds of stories and interactions and relationships that we see form and be challenged and be broken (laughs) i don't think there's another place that it's happening in the same way yeah i think of it as not a replacement for coming to it late because i think this started as a pandemic hobby for me yeah i don't think of it as a replacement for sports i think of it as like what if a soap opera were not so ridiculously written. It's like the thing I watch instead of Grey's Anatomy. Like certain franchises are just going to be harder for me to get into. Like I'm probably never going to watch The Real Housewives of New Jersey because as someone from Long Island, I just cannot deal with that brand of person anymore in my life. I also, I don't watch New Jersey for the opposite reason. It's just like too foreign to me in this way that I find, and I have a lot of respect for Teresa as like a person carrying a, a show. And I did watch the first two seasons. So like, I saw the table flip and all that. But I just, I had to bail on the gender stuff. And it's like, 
it's no different. It's no different. We're about to discuss a season that revolves completely around a very abusive marriage. So it's it's not like I think that New Jersey is like worse. It's just the way that it presents is so uncomfortable to me. The like the kitchen demands Mm-hmm. and the just like sedentary nature of the men i tried when Teresa got out of prison i really tried to dip back in and i felt a lot for her and i'm invested in her children but i cannot watch the show yeah this is jumping ahead a little bit but i think that part of the reason i didn't enjoy carlton and there were many reasons for me not to like carlton but <sighs> one of them was that her husband was a Sicilian guy from, I think, New York who looked like a reject from the Jersey Shore. Yeah. And I just can't stand that particular brand of man. Yeah. So this has been said, this is not me. This is the actual, like, academic housewives work. Just having them on TV has changed what is possible in scripted television shows. Like, we're seeing different kinds of women being written because the possibilities are expanding and the idea that there could be more than one difficult woman in a room at a time, you never saw that. Yeah, and the idea that someone can be difficult and mean, but also a good person or, like, a good friend and a bad person Yes. at the same time. Yes, and And that you could care about them and want good things for them and see how badly they're fucking up their lives. You just didn't, you didn't see a lot of that, especially more than one in the same place. I think if you ever saw, like, what little I know about, like, Hollywood pitching, like, I just picture people fighting, like, tooth and nail to get one grumpy woman on screen, like one flawed woman. Like, here are the things we love about her, and here are the things that she needs to work on, and we've written her such that that her good qualities do not wildly outweigh mm-hmm. <laughs> her, her troubling qualities. That alone, like, that is just, like, fight after fight after fight to get that onto the screen. And then... To be like, actually, we, we're going to have four. <laughs> yeah. We're going to have seven. Mm-hmm. Like, it's just not possible. But I think we're seeing more and more scripted television that's informed by that. I will be continuing to watch The Real Housewives because I, I just find the characters they cast are really fun to watch. And it's fun to watch them evolve. They usually, most characters get like a few, a few seasons and they really, you see, you see, you see some stuff. Yeah, it's interesting to think that it is an unscripted show that is changing scripted television, but it is an unscripted show that exists because of a different scripted show. Yes, I don't know. If that's I think it's worth at least mentioning or not because not it everyone is, knows, and it's yeah, an interesting yeah, fact. it exists. So, The Real Housewives of Orange County specifically was born as a a lifestyle show that was an answer to the show Desperate Housewives, which is also, especially the first season, a great fucking show. That was one of the first shows that I felt like really taught me what you could do with a season. I just think it's so like smart and well put together. And I think the characters are really well written and really well acted. So if that's the lens that we're looking at this show through is that it is a study of some complex and flawed and varyingly compelling women. If that's what we're watching... Would you like to talk about what you watched? Yeah. When I was watching this, I was trying to pull out like the major arcs and conflicts that are happening. And there's a lot in five seasons of television. Yeah. But the recurring ones, the ones that I found the most compelling, there is 
Taylor's marriage and divorce. Yeah. She has like a perfect three-act structure. Like yes. act one, you know something's wrong, but you're not sure what. Yes. Act two, shit gets really dark. Yes. Season three is just the rise. Yeah. It's her like coming out of that hole. Yeah. And finding love and friendship and then she exits the series yes. in not so dramatic fashion. I actually was very pleased to see her yeah, on her way. Yeah, she kind of just slipped away and we all hope that Kennedy is okay. Yeah. And she like showed up in later seasons. It seemed like she and Kyle are legitimately friends and Kennedy and Portia are friends and so it- Yeah, so I know that Kyle has won you as like a POV character. Yeah. Well, because we watched the the last season in real time, she's the only one that's the same. Yeah. So that is something. That's true. That I think it it is helpful to have her as a through line, but also like she's an anxious person who just wants everyone to have a good time and gets really nervous around most animals. Yeah. Like we have we have some things in common even though our lives are very different yeah there's there's a scene where where other people are feeding squirrels and kyle is like it's very cute but i don't want it near me it's very cute but i I just don't want it near me yeah (laughs) and that i think really sealed her and anthony's bond (laughs) yes because there was an incident last year with some baby raccoons in our yard where i had the exact same reaction oh my god those baby raccoons were so cute they were so cute and i did not want them near me raccoon jungle gym so yeah i think she's a great hostess for the series she has been a controversial like watching it this time i was like why like what was ever controversial about this woman she's a a reasonable person with other priorities and i don't know she just yeah like like a just like a regular she's much more of a regular than anybody else i think because she got like like when the show started she was fairly wealthy Yeah. Like, she had four kids and lived in Beverly Hills in a house that she owned. Like, she was pretty wealthy. But, like, around season four or five, they get, like, fuck you money. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Some of the way that she handles her wealth, that is my least favorite thing about Kyle. Because she talks about it like it's an accident. She gets these, like, dumb rich people toys and then is like, I don't know. This just happened. Like, oopsie. Like, I don't know why I have this. Like, oh, my God. It's so confusing to use. Like, I accidentally gave this to my kids and now they got have the wrong idea about, like, I just don't like that faux bimbo. She, she's like a money bimbo. She's not a bimbo about other things. Right. She's a very I, smart person. I, I find that very... That's my least favorite thing about her. At the time that these five seasons were airing, people hated her. People found her to be a dark spirit. Amy and I, my ex, were divided on her. And it like I remember having conversations where I was like, I don't think she's that great. I just think she's like 51, 49. Mm-hmm. And Amy was like, no, she had no. And I now I'm like, no, 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 it was way more than 51. <laughs> yeah. I will say, hey, Amy, I know you're probably listening. I respectfully disagree. <laughs> I'm, I don't think she is, but okay. Huh. She's listened in the past. Yeah. Honestly, with this topic, probably. I don't want to like put anyone on blast too much. Nah, fuck it. Like, I think she's great. I think the thing that makes her a compelling character is that she plays the same role on the show that she does, I think, in her general life, where she tries to be like the one holding everything together. Yes. And and where did sometimes that, come that is from, right. Big and sometimes that is to her detriment. Yes. And I think sometimes that impulse gets her into trouble. I think she even says in season four or season five where she's like, if my friends are fighting and I'm not involved, I'm just gonna invite everyone to my house. I'm going to tell everyone that they're all invited to my house 
and whoever wants to show up can show up and they can figure it out. Yeah. And yeah, sometimes that's good and sometimes that's bad. Because sometimes it's like, all right, you're fighting over this bullshit thing. Just like, just squash it or at least squash it for tonight. Or sometimes Taylor shows up with Russell after he threatens to sue Camille for saying on television that he dislocated Taylor's jaw. Yeah. And they have to be asked to leave. Yeah. I'm just going to say one more thing about Kyle and then let's get into Taylor's marriage. I think it's become clear that Kyle is not a fair weather friend like someone who's who stays in touch when they're not filming someone who makes an effort to reach out to new cast members and maintain those relationships and she has been accused of like playing favorites but it's like that's what friendship is guys like like most of you are barely doing it at all i think that to me at least has really tipped the scales and now when i go back and watch it i'm like i don't know like I don't she's so she's so charming I keep waiting for the other shoe to drop with her well we'll get to the we'll get to game night we'll come back let's, oh let's, yeah like she can be a mean girl she can be bitchy yeah she well she, they has, all get, she wouldn't be on the tv show if she didn't have the capacity to be a mean girl yeah but like I'm waiting for her she to do something up. like real fucked up no I and, don't I've honestly never really framed it this way but in whatever 11 12 years the fact that she's never done anything like truly reprehensible is that's unheard of people make it one two seasons maybe before they do something that's like egregious and honestly i think the crutches is the worst of it and it really was kim you want to talk about someone who's done some fucked up stuff on camera i know it's complicated and it's not entirely her fault no but she doesn't take the responsibility she does not and i think that is challenging too okay do you want to talk about kim or do you want to talk about taylor we went on a tangent because i started talking about taylor but i wanted to say that the storylines i was following were taylor's marriage yeah the tragedy of kim and kyle yeah (laughs) and the lisa vanderpump of it all Uh, sure yeah just which i think brandy is vanderpump and about (laughs) yes and i think that brandy glanville the age of glanville is kind of wrapped up in the lisa vanderpump of it all yeah and i think brandy's story like literally what's going on with brandy doesn't fall so neatly into the kinds of story arcs that you're talking about but her role on the show, her evolution as a housewife is like, sometimes I like in, in, my, in my mind, I like to divide housewives into heroes, villains, fallen angels, and redemption. And I think Brandy is like one of the most quintessential fallen angels. Interesting. Why do you say like, that? Of the history of the show. Because she was perfect. We loved her. Like, season three Brandy, like, it uh, doesn't get better than that. It does true. not get better than season three Brandy. That is very And, like, true. sometimes she says the wrong thing, but in such a charming way. Like, she just really had my whole heart as a viewer. And to watch her corrode that goodwill with essentially gaslighting. Like, you know, fucking people shit up. And then pretending like she meant well. By the time she left, I was like ready for her to go. And if you'd told me in season three that in a mere two seasons, I would feel ready for her to go. I would have been like, that doesn't make any sense. Yeah, it's clear that Brandy's drinking too much. It's clear that she's unhappy. She's not dealing with it well. And I think that is what becomes the most challenging about a couple of the women on the show, particularly Brandy and Kim at the same time, is it's like, you are going through a really hard time right now. Yeah. I respect that. 
and I understand that. But you are not coping with it well, and you are making it everyone's problem, and that's bad. Yeah. The fact that Kim struggles with sobriety, like, that is her path, that is her fight, I get that. Yeah. And that is, that is a tough road. Yeah. I'm not saying that Kim struggling with her sobriety is what makes her makes her any less than than anyone else on this show. So many people on this franchise have substance abuse issues. Yes. But what I think makes her ultimately less sympathetic to me is the fact that she just has no memory for the good things that people have done for her, but a eternal memory for when people lose patience with her. Yes, every time someone has reached their max with her, which happens when you're an addict yeah. and you are- And you behave like she does. She pushes people away all the time. Yes, and sometimes she's sober and sometimes she's not. And it's, you know, that's her journey and it's it's hard to watch sometimes, but it's you can't expect a fresh slate. It's like she thinks that every time she- Every time she makes a concerted effort to stay sober. Yes. It's like everything she did while she was drinking or using just like vanishes for her. And it's like, it does not vanish for Kyle. Yeah. I can't imagine that anyone's made it this far that doesn't watch the show. But if you don't, Kyle and Kim are sisters. And Kyle is, she's the baby sister. And her mom on her deathbed was like, take care of Kim. You're the only one who can. Her mom put her youngest anxiousest daughter yeah. in charge, and she takes that mantle very seriously. She does, and to her credit, like, I noticed Kim saying something in the first season that she didn't say in later seasons, which was, I used to pay for your whole life. Yeah. Like, my job yes. got you your first car. My job got you all of these things. Yes. But the fact of the matter is, now, That's what Kyle said. pays for Kim's life fucking thrilling about that limo fight like that whole first season was like i just remember feeling like that season was a little lackluster and then it ended with that limo fight well it ended first with the tonys the following ending of the season is at taylor's birthday yes at taylor's birthday which i had forgotten i but i had like such when i came in anthony watched half the episode without me and when i came in I had such a visceral reaction to the dress that Kyle is wearing because they flash back to that moment in the limo so often and Kyle loves an arm cut out. <laughs> and I was just like, oh my God, it's it's like, it's it's happening. <laughs> she's wearing the, the, she's wearing the clothes. Like, yeah. Ah! Kim is hammered. Yeah. And feels a little ganged up on, which I will say, I understand. I don't necessarily agree, but I, I understand why she felt like overwhelmed yes. in the moment because she was talking to one person. Then all of a sudden she was talking to four people who were all telling her the things that she had Yes. Known. And I think what we have come to understand, especially in the second season, which we will get into in a moment, is that there are there's a lot of offlining in Beverly Hills and people complain about that that the cast is too protosorial because they all live in LA and they understand how cameras work. I now think that at least Lisa Vanderpump knew that Kim was an alcoholic. Kyle had confided in them that Kim had an actual substance problem. Yeah. And so when they see her drunk at this party, it's not just like, oh no, Kim's getting sloppy. Like some of them are on a little bit of alert that this could escalate. I think that that is true. The limo fight is substantial for a number of reasons, but the two that they always flash back to are one, Kim accuses Kyle of stealing their family home. And two, Kyle says on camera as a retort to that, you are a liar and sick and an alcoholic and now everyone knows. Yes. And I think 
And now everyone knows blew up the conceit of the Real Housewives in a way that should not be underestimated. <laughs> like now reflecting on it, like at the time it was like, ooh, vicious, Kyle, like sister fight. But now that I think about it, that was the moment that laid bare that the cameras were a character. Like every season of every franchise until then was like, this is a documentary. Like these are like women in the wild. Like they don't yeah. even know we're here. Like, and the fact that she said on camera and now everyone knows it and they kept it, brought us in. It doesn't matter that she called her an alcoholic. There's four people in the limo. Kim knows she's an alcoholic. Kyle knows she's an alcoholic. Right. It doesn't matter that she said it. It matters that she said it on camera, and she knows that, and she says it. Like, even as she's saying it, she's like, this is what I'm doing to you right now. Right. And I just think that's so fucking juicy, and I think it changed. I think it set up the dynamics of season two I was going to say that. Really in an interesting way and also just like changed the way the producers had to think about what they were making across the franchise. Yeah. It gives you the missing piece of a puzzle that if you didn't know that piece of, and I knew that piece of information the entire time I had been watching Kim. So it wasn't unusual for me, but I think if I didn't have that information and if we as viewing audience didn't have that information, she would just seem insane. Yeah. Like, I think people would speculate that she was an alcoholic because the way Kim behaves when she's drunk, it's pretty obvious that she's drunk. Like, she slurs her words. She's unfocused. She's babbling about I, I, any I one think thing. she mixes a lot of stuff. I think she has a—I think she says she's an alcoholic because that's—because she doesn't want to get in trouble for well, having a pill problem. But well, I think she's also, as some people who I've known in my life who have been sober have pointed out that when you are an alcoholic and you are addicted to one thing, it is very easy to pick up some uh, tertiary addictions, let's say. Yeah, especially like so much access. Right, exactly. Especially for these women who can get prescribed Xanax, no problem. Yeah. <laughs> when I started having a relationship with Xanax, it changed my view of The Real Housewives, like mm -hmm. instantly. Like I took it on a few planes and then I went back and watched The Real Housewives and I was like, oh, like benzos are driving this train. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> a lot of the time. <laughs> yes. Because they get drunk a lot and sometimes it's like, well, they got drunk faster. Like, that's not what I do when I'm drunk. Or like, why would a drunk person like, well, I just had a glass of, I just had one glass of white wine. And it's like, yeah, and five Xanax. Like, <laughs> right, and two Xanax and no food. Yeah. Like, ugh, yeah. Beverly Hills especially has such a food problem and it's like really difficult to watch. That is true. So Kyle included the televised nature of their lives in the limo fight and that changed things forever and then the season two the driving force of season two is taylor's abusive marriage and how are we gonna deal with it and much like in season one with kyle saying kim's an alcoholic we don't have it confirmed until camille yes when they're like they're arguing about something and redemption been, redemption story they've been talking around this issue talking about how taylor's unhappy and talking about how russell and she are having problems and like yes. all of these things and then camille just snaps one day at lisa's house and was like we don't say that russell beats you we don't say that he broke your jaw we don't say that, that you had to remodel your bathroom because he, he broke it with your face yeah yeah but now we did yeah and taylor 
it's important to note, really pushes her to do that. They're having a conversation about honesty and everyone is like, Taylor, you are not the one. What are you talking about? What are you talking about pushing everyone? I I mean, I think, let's back up. So that's a great moment mm-hmm. <laughs> in, the, in the show's history. But watching it back now... I remember it being in real time. It was like, I think they even put a sound effect in that's like, and they cut to Kyle, like disappearing into whatever, like throw pillow she can find. Also something I identify with. Yes. And it feels like, it feels like this huge, huge deal. And I remember it landing on me that way. But now when I watch it, it's like, they are not like the hints before that are not subtle. No, like, that's true. They like there's a dinner party at Lisa Vanderpump's house where she like gives the random example of like what would anybody do if your husband never hit you? Like Lisa Vanderpump I think is trying to push this issue to the forefront. Not in a bad way because that does become one of her more frustrating qualities. Yes, but I I think in this season she genuinely meant well but didn't want to be the one to like really dump it all out but she pushes it and and they and they all say things like oh like the things you told us but now you're acting like everything's okay like are you safe like it it's not it's just not very well hidden yeah and i think also you pointed out at some point when we were watching like we as a society have the tools to like really talk about this more openly and recognize it more quickly yeah like the fact that lisa vanderpump like one or two episodes before the big reveal quotey fingers yeah. goes up to taylor and is like look i know we're not close but i have a big house and if you ever need a place to stay you can stay with me yeah like that would be just so obvious now yeah and the way that they talk about like even the way kyle and mauricio talk about spending time with russell that they're like we're uncomfortable around him because like we've heard about things that he's done in the past but we don't but then taylor like expects us to act natural around him like it just seems so clear like even the the way we see taylor and Russell at therapy together yeah and like the way that they talk about like him quoting fingers uh, behaving himself it seems like we had all the tools to know but anyway it's a big deal it's a big deal when Camille says it but I think in my estimation Camille is doing Taylor a big favor in that moment although it is risky Mm -hmm. and it sounds like there are consequences like it sounds like Taylor now has to go home and tell Russell that this is going to come out on the show Yeah, and then he threatens to sue Camille, which is why they get kicked out of the white party. Yeah. Because Taylor didn't know that he had done that. Yeah. Part of what I found thrilling about the season is that it was just like, out of all the cities, this was one of the first that was like really dealing with like a real, like real, real shit. These are real stakes. Yeah. You know, like this is, this is people's health. Yeah. I also found it thrilling the way that everything was changed by the fact because every single person knows before the season starts. Every yeah. every woman in the cast knows. Because Taylor has confided. Because in Taylor has told them. And that's what I that's why I feel like Taylor wants like the whole time I think she really wants it to come out and that's why I think she pushes Camille in that scene and that's I think she pushes everyone in that scene that she like almost leaves a couple times and then she keeps coming back and being like we're not talking we're not getting everything out we're not talking talking about and I don't I don't think it's like completely conscious but I think she I think she wants it to come out and it does 
And I mean, I think it was ultimately beneficial for her that it did. Yeah, it just may have been a little bit of a rocky road. So the the button to that is that between the wrapping of that season and them filming the reunion, Russell hangs himself in his office mm-hmm. and Taylor finds him. The fact that it was going to come out on television that he was abusing his wife did that have to do with his decision he was also in a lot of financial trouble there was also a lot of like business yeah it sounded like he was like just also a grifter and it was all coming crashing yeah down. i think everything was coming crashing down is it a factor we will never know there were those who felt that it was inappropriate that the season should air in the way that it did and i'm just curious to know how you feel about that as a new I felt like it was really important that it air the way that it did. It was interesting to watch, and I think it was ultimately a good thing that they aired the season, not because we were seeing someone who was so clearly suffering, because, like, it's pretty clear that Taylor is in a lot of emotional pain throughout most of that season. Like, she's just having random meltdowns in cars, and people are, like, trying to get her to talk. Yeah. But I think it was important not just for the story of the show, but I think that they actually wound up handling it with a decent amount of sensitivity, considering that it is someone's life. Yeah. You know, like, it's hard because it's like domestic violence plus suicide together in the same family in the same season. That is a really hard thing to cover. But at the same time, this is a show about someone's life. And so if you're going to honestly cover their life, you've got to honestly cover their life. You know, like yeah, there's yeah. a, I'm not going to say they have a moral obligation to cover it, but it's like. When I heard people's objections, I was like, would you have them sugarcoat it? Would you have had them fire Taylor and pretend that it didn't happen? Right. Like, like all of that would have been show, bad. Like the ne- yeah. Like I just can't think of a more graceful way to handle it than straight on in the way that they did. I think, honestly, I, I feel like it was fucking important. I feel yeah. like it, like, shone a light. Yeah, and I think it makes it easier for them to talk about things that aren't quite as charged in later seasons or, like, as dangerous. Like, for example, at the same time that that is happening, Kim is totally spinning out. Yeah. And at the end of the second season, she checks herself into rehab as opposed to the end of the first season where her family checks her into rehab and she leaves. Yeah. And then she's able to talk very openly about her sobriety for the next couple of years. And I think part of it is because it's like, okay, yes, this is a really hard struggle that is really emotional for me to talk about. But people have been through worse on this show. Yeah. And like the show has handled it. Fairly well. I mean, I think some of the individual women's reactions in the moment were not how it would be handled. Yeah, there's now. a lot. There's some uncomfortable stuff now. There's a lot of people, we didn't see it. Of people, yeah, that are like, which, like, like, of course you didn't. That's how can, it works. Yeah, how can we know it's true if we didn't see it? And it's like nobody breaks their wife's jaw in front of other people. Like, and I would just like it noted that the voice of reason in that is Dana. <laughs> Dana Wilkie. Twenty-five thousand dollars sunglasses. Dana is the one who is like, you know, if my friend says it, then I believe that it's true. I think Lisa Vanderpump does the next best. She doesn't say that because she's English, but she says it in her, it's clear that she takes Taylor seriously the entire time. And I think that's why Taylor antagonizes her so much during the season is that she refuses to 
play the like game of peekaboo that everybody else is playing that's like oh when you want to talk about when you want to talk about this thing that's going on then we talk about it and when you want to pretend it's not happening then we pretend it's not happening lisa vanderpump's not having that it's right. if it's happening it's happening and most of the other women kind of do play along uncomfortably or hem and haw or say things like they want to like russell and it's it's I want to believe that it would look a little different if it happened right now, but I don't think that means that the show did a bad job or that it shouldn't have been because I think you can only move. We can only move forward if we're doing it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like I think, like I think it. I think it's shown a light not only on the way that this environment affected Taylor, but on the kinds of conversations that go on between women about this shit. Yeah. And I think that's what I'm talking about, about like if network TV wants to give me a scripted thing with all the, like where all the women are talking to each other, where else do you get that? The dynamics of like a group of women having access to this potentially dangerous information and how do they all deal with it? How do they all communicate it to their husbands? How do they respond in social situations? What does all of that look like? And how does it eventually like stop being a secret? Yeah. I don't know. I think it's a very interesting study in that. Yeah, I agree. It is interesting to me that when it finally does come out, all of the husbands that we see and some of them suck not one of them has a single thing to say in russell's defense and you have said so many times on and offline about how men will always come to the defense of any man yeah and all of the husbands on this show and it might be because they're on air it i don't know why it doesn't matter why all of them immediately are like nope you're cut off just like you're out yeah and i'm not surprised that like mauricio and ken we're on the right side of this. Although Ken does badmouth therapy in an uncomfortable way. Yeah, well, he's also a 70-year-old British man who's wealthy as fuck, so I'm not really surprised. Yeah. His best friend is a dog with alopecia. <laughs> so, like, yeah, Ken's got some stuff. Yeah. But, you know, you can only yeah. ask for so much, right? Is he a little autistic, do you think? I feel like you've said all British people are a little autistic, which I think is a hilarious joke. Ah, good point. 